Hey guys, let me introduce myself real quick. My name is Kira. I am 22 years old and I am a failure. In October of 2022, I moved to Boston with a new job, a boyfriend, and a huge circle of friends. And in January of 2023, I left unemployed, heartbroken, and friendless. Welcome to my flab era. Here's my most recent and hopefully funny and entertaining story of failure. And I mean total and complete failure. Everyone loves to hear stories about people taking risks and excelling, but what about all those times people take risks and they fail miserably? I'm tired of only celebrating our wins. It's time to start celebrating our losses as well. Because I think I've learned more from this terrible experience than I have in any of my success stories. Throughout my years, I have totally become an expert in failing. I failed my Calculus II math class my freshman year of college. I failed to get a job immediately after school. I have failed at handling my emotions so many times and most importantly, I really failed at being an adult and it's really hard to not see myself as a total and complete failure, to not let my failure define me. Nobody reads stories where the entire plot is just one big happy ending and nobody watches horror movies where there is no monster lurking in the shadows or hiding under the bed. So I'm here to tell you all about my failure, a healthy dose of schadenfreude, a train wreck that is so messy and exciting that you just can't look away. Here are my four steps on how to ruin your life, tested out by yours truly and guaranteed to lead to failure. Step one, meet a boy. I'm a really simple girl. A boy telling me I'm pretty means more than anything else. I've always had a massive fear of rejection that stemmed from childhood. Growing up, my best friend was petite, blonde, and quiet, and every boy in elementary school had a crush on her. Meanwhile, I was gangly, boisterous, and had a curly, red jufro that I had no idea how to take care of. And so, when guys would talk to me, even as a very young child, it was only as a proxy to get to her. And it kind of set up this trajectory of always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And I watched my friends in high school and college go through the early steps of discovering their sexuality and getting into relationships while I kind of just stood off on the sidelines and watched. So much of how women are conditioned by society is that we feel like we have to deny our multifaceted identities. And growing up, I definitely thought women could only be put in the box of being smart or being pretty. So never feeling quite pretty, I really leaned into my academics in order to feel good at something. And truth be told, it worked. I studied really hard, I got good grades, I went to a top university, I got big internships, and still I never really felt fulfilled because it's in our human nature to want what we can't have, and for me, that was male attention. It took a really long time for me to come into my identity as somebody who is deserving of somebody else's attention and affection. 
I met this guy through a friend of a friend, and for story purposes, I'm going to nickname him Bop, in contrast to my flop. From the moment we met, we were spellbound by each other. I was really drawn to his quiet confidence, his American traditional tattoos, and just the way he looked at me whenever I was talking. The funny story about how we met is that I was actually going to try and set him up with my best friend, but our chemistry was so undeniable that that mission was quickly abandoned. Even though he was in Boston and I was in D.C., we still spent every waking minute of our time together, and we had this really fun tradition of FaceTiming each other after our nights out, and we'd kind of go over each of our lives, and our total differences were really fascinating to each other. When I met him, I was fresh out of college and applying for jobs all across the East Coast. So naturally, after meeting him, I just so happened to apply for jobs in his city, Boston, Massachusetts, just to see if I could get any. Step two, move across the country. And I did. When I was a senior in college, I felt like I was really at a crossroads to either take a more creative career or a more financially driven career. And I ended up looking at the more financially driven side. I finally got an offer for a job that sounded perfect, doing fundraising at a large PBS affiliate in Boston, Massachusetts. It would be a hybrid position, and as somebody who had never had an in-person internship, yet alone a job in person, I was ready to work in an office. Most importantly, I was really excited to get out of the D.C. area. I grew up in suburban Virginia, and both of my parents worked in the city. In 2018, when I got into Georgetown University, it felt like a natural decision to go there, and I totally don't regret going to university so close to home, but four years later, I was ready to get the fuck out. Boston was totally not my first choice because I hate the cold, and I really wanted to go somewhere warm. However, I was so excited just to leave that I ran with it and gave it a shot. And when I visited it, I really felt like I could see myself there. I remember walking down Harvard Street in Brookline, which is probably still my favorite neighborhood there. And I fantasized about trying every Jewish bagel and donut shop, watching movies at the vintage Coolidge Corner Theater, and getting lost in the huge local bookstore. Maybe the weather will be cold, but I definitely think I can vibe with this. I joked about my time in Boston being study abroad Boston, and truth be told, living in Boston sometimes felt like I was in another country. My first time visiting the stop and shop left me in awe. I traded in my expensive habit of only drinking $5 iced oat milk lattes made from coffee beans that were the fairest of trade for massive cups of Dunkin' iced coffee sludge. I switched from wearing Lululemon to wearing L.L. Bean. And I even learned to end my nights out pretty early, since everywhere in Boston closes at like midnight. After reuniting with said boy, we began dating. It was so nice having him show me the city. He knew every restaurant, which bars to go to, and that the Fenway Target is the best target. Most importantly, he introduced me to his large circle of friends. And even though they talked about Call of Duty a little too much for my liking, we really did start to mesh, and I would do anything to be around him. I let myself take a back seat when it came to planning, which was really unnatural for me. It made sense at the time to do that, but what makes sense doesn't necessarily always make you the happiest. And as I look back to try and find stories about my life in Boston, 
I kind of come to a blank and I'm not sure if it's because I really don't want to remember anything or if because for the first time really my life was so stable that it was relatively boring. In reality, it's probably a combination of the two. I do remember a lot of time being spent standing around and waiting in line for things to happen and being left feeling underwhelmed. Be it an hour and a half to take a picture with the Stanley Cup or two hours in the freezing cold just to eat ramen. Step three, get dumped. I don't particularly care for hockey or ramen. I could tell something was off with Bob. He was slowly pulling back, and when he asked me if he could come over to my place to talk, I knew it was the end. And no matter how many times he told me that this wasn't my fault, and that there wasn't anything wrong with me, my mind still felt like it had been covered with marks of red ink, like a bad essay or a math test I never studied for. The truth was, it was never going to work. His rose-tinted glasses just shattered before mine. And as hard as it was to lose a partner, it felt even harder losing the cushion of friends. I knew his group would take his side, and although he may argue that there are no sides, that neither of us was the bad guy, he was their friend of many years, and I was the new girl who tagged along. I don't know if there is a quote-unquote right way to handle a breakup. Ignoring your emotions is futile. You are feeling really emotional. Telling the wrong person can be life-shattering. They can spread nasty things to your partner. They can say things that trigger you and make you feel worse. But at the same time, not telling anyone is even worse because there is some beauty in letting all of your embarrassing moments just out into the open. When it came to handling the breakup, I writhed in my sadness. I tried sedating myself out with nights out, legal weed, and hours of sleep. I was really angry and I tried lashing out at anyone I could try and blame for the relationship's downfall. And let's be real, by no means was I the perfect angel girlfriend. I was messy, emotional, lazy, angry, tired, grumpy, and judgmental. I think the clearest example of just a general disconnect between the two of us was when we went out for dinner around New Year's Eve. The conversation was drying up, so I asked him if he had any New Year's resolutions. No, he didn't. Do you want to think of any New Year's resolutions? No. Not even any broad goals? No. I told him that my resolution was to get comfortable with the uncomfortable having harder conversations, trying new things, putting myself out there, etc. I asked him if he thought he had changed within the past year, and he told me he hadn't. When he broke up with me, one of the things that stuck with me was he told me to never change. But I want to change. He might be okay with the status quo, but I'm not. I hope I'm always changing. I hope I'm always learning, growing, and maturing. I hope I look back a year from now and see a different person. A braver person. A more accomplished person. But I don't judge him for fearing change. It's really scary and hard. And just because I'm the kind of person who moves over 500 miles away from my established family and friends for a new job on a whim, he wouldn't do that. 
And when I was making this change to move, I knew that it could end in failure. With time and space, I acknowledge the relationship as being something good. But I'm not the person who can settle for good. I'm always striving to be great. Complacency is not on brand for me. Step four, get fired. When I first got that job offer, it sounded like a dream. I thought I'd be organizing marketing campaigns, speaking to volunteers, and working to address feedback from listeners. I thought I'd spend days in the beautiful office where I'd joke and bond with my fellow coworkers. It was a glorified customer service job. And of the three months I spent at that job, I only spent two days in the office. And to be honest, I was not good at it. But I bit my tongue thinking that if I could get a year under my belt, I could move upwards in my career and get into the work I thought I wanted to do. Spoiler alert, I made it three months. And especially during this breakup, I was of the mindset that it was more important to work through pain than to take time off to heal. Work can be a distraction and sometimes having a scheduler doing work through hard things helps, but for me, it absolutely exacerbated the issues I was already struggling with at work. Everything culminated when I ended up refunding somebody for a $2,400 donation that was never actually processed. I fucked around and found out that my employment was about to be terminated. Funny enough, I never actually cried about losing the job itself because I really did hate it by the end of my time there. But I did cry a lot mourning the version of myself that could have been. What if I had stayed in Boston? And really, I probably still would have flopped. Maybe I would have worked another job that I somehow hated even more or met a boyfriend who treated me badly instead of just not being the right fit. Moving back in with my parents definitely felt like a failure. Why couldn't I have made it on my own in Boston? What stopped me from persevering through this breakup? What stopped me from doing well at this job that sounds so simple but was really difficult? I feel like I had my adult privilege revoked and I had reverted back, which was the opposite of what I wanted something like this to do. I wanted this move, this new relationship to propel me forward, but it ended up setting me back. Right now, as I try and deal with my emotions, I picture myself as a scorned pop star who might have done a little too much booger sugar and is sent off to a remote location to go and get rehabilitated. And maybe it's a little delusional, but it's getting me through. I've categorized this era as my flop era. Usually, the term flop era refers to when a musical artist or actress releases something scorned by critics, rejected by fans, and unable to bring in the money. And here I am, scorned by my lover, rejected by my peers, and unemployed. As I was struggling, one thing that stuck out to me was a class project I did during my freshman year of college for my required writing class. My professor took inspiration from the TED Radio Hour, but instead he called it the Failure Radio Hour, where each of us made a short podcast about failure. So I reached out to him for advice, and he told me his own story about his greatest example of failure in his life, 
And funny enough, he actually almost moved to Boston. I have I have a story, and it's all and it also takes place in a northeast city for the but which may or may not be Boston, but I'll tell you about it in a second. That is that was definitely and is part of my like career and life arc. I don't really talk about it a lot because it's just it feels ancient history now. But it was my I I was just finishing up my first time going to graduate school for creative writing. And it was the spring of the second year there. And it was like, my wife, we weren't married yet, but Ariel and I were living in Wisconsin and we were like, what are we going to do next? And I was like, I love teaching, but I can't really expect myself to like do it with just an MFA. It's not going to do the trick. And so I was like publishing. Publishing is the thing. I'm going to go into publishing. I never did any publishing before, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And Ariel was like, you, you can do this. You're, you know, you can do editing. You're really good at editing. You're good at feedback. I'm like, I love feedback. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was 27. I didn't have any like publishing experience whatsoever. It was like just, just being like a creative writer dude. The failure really got to the point where like all of a sudden during that year, we didn't have any plans beyond sort of the, the lease ended August 15th in, in Wisconsin. It was just like, all right, we got to do, we got to figure this out. Got an interview in a city that may or may not be Boston <laughs> in New England at a, at a publisher. And I, it was like the best uh, phone call interview of all time. They were like, so nice to me. The team was so great. It was in scholarly publishing. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be great. And they're like, come out for an interview sometime. You said you're in Madison now, but you're moving you know, to the Northeast. Like, come, come on through. And I was like, okay, great. And so like, literally we got in the car and we just started driving to Boston. I was just like, all right, let's do this. Um, and I was like, okay, we got there. And I remember getting like, stopping into like a Banana Republic to get like a shirt or something. I didn't have like a shirt that fit me. I was like, okay, we need a shirt. Day before, I start to get like kind of like a real sinus congestion kind of thing going on. By the time we get into a hotel, like with points, um, with Marriott points that my my mom had gifted us in in Boston uh, for the big interview, I get like really just like sinus pressure, nausea, what may or may not have sort of been a real just like reckoning with like, I don't know if this is right. I don't know what it was, but it was just kind of literally a visceral kind of thing. And so it's the day before, it's a Sunday at like four o'clock. And I just say to Ariel, I'm like, I need to walk outside. I just like take a walk. And they're like building these little townhomes, this New England sort of town. And I'm just having dry heaves. I'm just like not well. And I'm just like, I think I'm just really sick. And I used to get a lot of migraines. I'm like, oh my God, I'm having this migraine. And it lasts the entire night <laughs> to the point where like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the interview in the morning. And then right before the interview, Ariel drives me maybe 15 minutes. And right before I get out of the car, I say, do you think it's all right if I apply, if this doesn't work out, what do you think if I apply to graduate school again and try to teach writing? which was just totally like, I wasn't even thinking. She was like, sure, we'll like, we'll figure it out. Like have good luck. Like we'll figure it all out. And I'm like, what if I don't want to do this? Um, so I still think I just probably ate something bad on the road or just had a sinus infection or something, but it was bad news. I'm like literally wandering around this neighborhood just being like, who's that guy? So interview I think goes pretty well they hand me a book when I come in they're like we published this it's a guide to the city like you're gonna love it here it's all this couch of like you're here like we've got you 
I was all in. I was like, it's okay that the driving is also making me dizzy. I tried everything that I possibly could do publishing-wise. It was 2008, so we're on the brink of financial complete collapse um, in America and publishing industry. Not the place to be, you know, not the smartest idea in the world um, in retrospect for many reasons, including like that my passion didn't necessarily lead there. It was just sort of like, well, this feels adjacent or this feels random. Um, so they give me the book. They're talking about everything we're going to do. And I'm like, yeah, like chances are I'll be moving here very, very, very soon. I'm just so excited about this. Interview's going great. And then all of a sudden at lunch, the person I'm interviewing with, it's almost like something changed along the way. This person's demeanor sort of changes. And then all of a sudden we're eating lunch and this person says to me, I don't like people who lie. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. And this person's like, I don't like liars. And I'm just like... Okay. All, all right. Um, and we, you know, we're having lunch. At one point, I think I like spit while I'm eating like a little bit. And then I'm like, oh my God, like what, what is going on? And I'm like, do I pick up the spit that I just spit something across the table? But I'm like, why did they say that to me about like, I don't like liars? Is it something about like whether I'm moving to this place. It was just one of those things where I'm like, did I just do something really unprofessional in the first couple of hours? Like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did something. And then we get back and everyone's like, oh, this is great. So this is the person that you'll be working with and we're talking and this is the person who's going to do, do all of that stuff. And we chat and we talk and they're like, okay, that seems like a fit. And we sort of get along. And then at the end of the interview um they're just like this is so exciting we can't wait for next steps this is going to be great if you have any questions just follow up with that other person and i didn't remember the person's name and i didn't ask in the moment it was just one of those things where i was like it could be this name it could be that i didn't ask who that person was um but i was like oh this i've got this in the bag that was weird during lunch when someone was like you're a liar Kind of, um, but everything else was sort of really awesome. And like, it se I seem to be, I've rebounded okay. And then I didn't hear anything from them. And they were like, we'll be letting you know by the end of the week. Um, didn't hear anything from them. Didn't hear anything the next week. Didn't hear anything the week after. And then I'm like, okay, something's up. And they're like, oh no, we're still, we're still deciding. Um, and then they're like, but did you talk to that? Did you talk to that person? Uh, you know, whatever that person thing was. I was like, oh yeah, no. They're like, you did, okay. Um, okay. And I was like, but is does she is she deciding this? And they're like, no, no, we'll 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 be deciding. But did you talk to her that afternoon? I'm like, yeah, I talked to I talked to her. And I was thinking, did I not send a thank you, you know, follow-up, you know, imagining all these things? It's July, it's the end of July, like my lease is running out, and I just called them up at one point and I'm just like, do you have any sort of knowledge about whether or not this position is there and they're like no we don't have anything else for you at this time we're not sure and so i just start sending out resumes like everywhere to every community college to every college to every place i could possibly think of like just being like i need to like just be an adjunct professor i need to get my life back on track i it, it, i'm totally demoralized i don't know why it wasn't a match I don't know if this position exists anymore. And they, the worst part is they didn't just say you didn't get it. The worst part was they didn't just say it's not the economy tanked and we don't have it. They just were like, we'll let you know. And um, I never heard back from that 
organization from that publisher. I never heard what went wrong, but it was one of those things where it was an ultimate failure because maybe I am a maybe I am a liar, but I'm lying to myself about what I want and what I you know I'm like. But it was one of the more perplexing and sort of a horror story of interviews that you know been on a lot since. They've been fine. I haven't been called a liar in any of them. I'm not really sure what I did, but um, but it was one of those things that stays with you. That's one of those things where you're like, okay, my entire direction of my life, I think, is changing as I'm living out this nightmare of a of a next step. When I tell people about this project, it definitely does get some confusing stares and slack, and there is definitely a stigma surrounding failure. When I told my mom about this podcast, she suggested basing it on adversity in the hopes that people are more receptive to the idea of adversity. But I'm not talking about adversity. I'm talking about failure. And that's really the goal of this podcast, talking about something that is really taboo that a lot of us go through and kind of embracing failures and realizing that sometimes it gets worse. And I'll be frank, I'm still unemployed. I have to start going to therapy more often. I live with my parents. I'm in the middle of getting tested for ADHD, which is really stressful. And I am miserable, but that's okay. I had a conversation recently with my therapist about only showing the good parts of ourselves. And things like social media has only made everyone see just these idealistic versions of everyone's lives. And it's just not true. So having these really candid conversations about failure is important for us to realize that everyone around us is a human too. I definitely think I've played into the idea of only presenting my best life to others as well. And I'm here to stop that. I'm here to also present my worst life and my embarrassing stories because that makes me a human and that makes me myself. And failure is a part of being a human. If everything was perfect, we wouldn't be humans. We would be like robots, like machines. And I don't think I want to talk to a machine. I want to talk to people. I want to know people. And I might be rambling a little bit, but I did want to end this genuinely saying that I'm here to talk about failing. And if you want to listen to me talk about failing, if you want to listen to other people talking about failing, if you want to laugh sometimes, this is the podcast for you. And I'm ready to start failing down the rabbit hole.